Now, as we're talking about prayer, care, and share, that's our outreach strategy. We pray for people, and it's very important to remember to pray specifically for people, to care for people, and then to know how to share Jesus with them. Today, I want to look at an example in the Bible where prayer, care, and share took place. And it was very much orchestrated by God. And a lot of times, I think we, we need to pray for God to orchestrate our opportunities. When there's someone who needs Jesus, we pray, Lord, I'm going to do my part in this, but I need you to be the prime mover. I need you to arrange and open up the opportunities. And I marvel at what we're looking at today. This is a special, this is a special message to me because it is very amazing what God did. And I'll try to highlight as we go along how incredible this is. You'll notice it's a strange title named Operation Nebuchadnezzar. It, you may or may not even know what that, who that is and what that means, but I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And we're going to do a lot of reading today, so I hope you are ready to do a lot of reading. Because it's just telling the story, basically. And then we'll make some conclusions at the end and comment along the way. You'll notice that... Uh, on your outline, I have four chapters on the column, and then it says the human part, God's intervention, and Nebuchadnezzar's steps. I called him Neb because Nebuchadnezzar would run off the page. Um, I figure he didn't get along too well in kindergarten with that name, but well, that's for another day. And so I that's, that's the format we're going to do. We're going to be talking chapter 1 across, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and then wrap it up in conclusion. I think you're going to be amazed at how it comes together and what we see. Starting in chapter 1 of Daniel. In the third year, and, and please be patient with names, historical details, it all is going someplace. I, I know there's a lot. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Now, so what happened is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came across and conquered Judah, the kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem. He didn't ransack it at this time, but he, he took things from the temple, and he took the best and the brightest of Jerusalem. He was pay Actually, the funny thing about this, right from the start, it's a God thing. And you may say, how is somebody coming, taking the things from the holy temple of Jerusalem to the temple of a pagan god? How is that a God thing? I'll tell you why. Because Nebuchadnezzar wasn't actually interested in Judah, per se. It was sort of mopping up operations, protect your flank, so to speak. He was on a mission assigned by his dad to go to Egypt. And he was back, going back through Judah was a pass-through for Nebuchadnezzar. Wasn't a big kingdom, didn't have a whole lot for him to be interested in. But God had a different plan. 
God had his eyes on a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And he was going to win Nebuchadnezzar. And I want us to see how Operation Nebuchadnezzar unfolded. This is God's mission. And he enlisted four Hebrew men to take that mission on for him. And so we see that what he did is he took the nobles and the brightest and the most educated people and he took them to Babylon and trained them to be Babylonians. Good strategy, indeed, to take to when you conquer a people, you take their, their brightest, their leaders, those who have the best qualities, and you transplant them and make them, and reculture them, make them part of your own. Now notice verse 6. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. We probably now all have songs going through our heads about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's, there's a number of songs about these guys. But, but listen to what, the, the naming is a part of the reculture process. Daniel means God is my judge, but he was renamed Belteshazzar, which means Bel, Babylonian God, protect my life. Hananiah the Lord, means the Lord shows grace. He changed it to Shadrach under the command of Aku. Aku is the Babylonian moon god. Okay. Mishael, which means who is like God, changed to Meshach, which means who is like Aku, the Babylonian moon god. You see what's happening here? Their devotion from the start, their, their, their gods are attacked. And Azariah, the Lord helps to Abednego, servant of Nabal, who is the god of learning, the Babylonian god of learning. So not only are they trying to reculture them, they're trying to redirect their faith to the gods of Babylon by the very fact of giving them new names. So they're going to make Babylonians out of them. Now listen to this in verse 8. And we are still in the human part here. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, we'll go on, let's go on. Now God, verse 9, had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Then the king would have my head because of you. See, Daniel said, we, we are Hebrews, we have dietary restrictions, we cannot eat the bacon that's on the king's table. We can't eat those sausages. And there's no head cheese for these men. Some, thank God for small favors, right? And, but there's a problem that they had been brought specifically to be trained as Babylonians, and they were eating right from the king's table. They were eating the same thing as the king. So Daniel now says, I'm not going to defile myself with this stuff. He wasn't talking about junk. He wasn't talking about going down to the local flea bag hamburger stand and picking up a bag of burgers. He's talking about what the king eats. Now in the ancient world, the king ate how well? Very well. The average person ate how? Very poorly. Okay, the difference was unbelievable. But Daniel, in the face of this, says, I'm not going to defile myself. I don't care if it comes from the king's table. I don't care where it comes from. I serve my God first. Incredible commitment. So he goes to the official who was in charge of him, and he, he says, can I just, can we have vegetables? 
to eat. And um, the official says, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't look healthy, the king's going to have my head. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was a homicidal maniac. He was. I mean, if you bring these Hebrew boys here, if they're useful to Nebuchadnezzar, they live. If he decides they're not useful for some reason, they die, along with the, the, the guy who's in charge of them. I mean, this was, Nebuchadnezzar had a very effective, not a moral, but a very effective way of handling things. And so, there's a little bit of concern there. Daniel says in, in verse 11, Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now, let's look at the... We're looking at the, the human part, that Daniel had this devotion, this purpose in his heart not to defile himself. Let's look at the God thing now. First of all, he gave them favor with the, with the guy who was in charge of them. It, it said he caused the official to have favor for them, to Daniel. Again, you don't do that. Nebuchadnezzar says, bring him in, feed him the food, this is what you do. What do you do? Exactly what Nebuchadnezzar says. And anything else to convince Nebuchadnezzar that you're doing what he said, or else. So the fact that he was willing to do this and they received favor from, from this man was a total God thing. The Lord had to turn his heart. And then, when they did not eat of the table, but they ate just vegetables, they actually were healthier and better nourished than any other young men who ate the royal food. That's a God thing. So God moved. He gave them favor. Notice in verse 17 it says, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now, at the end of the time, verse 18, set by the king to bring them in, there was a deadline the king had to review their progress, right? The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Now listen to this in verse 20. This is Nebuchadnezzar's step, Neb's steps for chapter 1. Verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. It's a God thing, but that's where Nebuchadnezzar said, wow, these Hebrew boys are exceptional, ten times better than anything we have. God has moved, and Nebuchadnezzar has made a step in making a note. These Hebrew boys are rock stars. That's as far as he went then. But let's move on now to chapter 2. In chapter 2, the human part, the king has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in he, and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, which was their, their language, their common language. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. 
Now listen to what the king said. I told you Nebuchadnezzar was a maniac. He said, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me the gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. And once more they replied, let the king tell his servants a dream and we will be glad to interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king has. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was sent for, was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent out to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now, you see what I mean when I said before, this guy's a homicidal maniac? And that's why, you know, could we just have vegetables? It's like, adjust the king's rules? I don't think so. That's how it has to be a God thing that that ever happened. So that's where the situation. Now, when Ariok, verse 14, the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put the king, to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh degree, decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Verse 17. Look at this as a God thing. Then Daniel returned to his house. He went straight to Nebuchadnezzar and said, I have to talk to you. And then he went back to his house in one piece. Not in a box. God's behind it. As you could see before, you don't, you don't fudge around the edges with Nebuchadnezzar. And even his moods in the book of Daniel, and one time he's doing this, another time he's doing this, you can see this guy's a fruitcake. But he went, returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm back in verse 17. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of, the God, of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power, have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made to us, known to us the dream of the king. God shows up. God reveals the dream to Daniel. And notice that the work of God, God's intervention, starts by a prayer meeting. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I, I only know them by that name. I don't remember the Hebrew names. And, and so they pray, and he, and he gets the revelation of the dream, and Daniel breaks into praise. Now, verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch, 
whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So now this is still God's intervention here. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. So the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? He's talking to the king now. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And we're going to not go into the dream because it's such a detail. It's a powerful message. But the point is that he goes to the king. Okay? Notice how the king says, what's the dream? He says, wait, let me time out. Before I say anything, again, this is Nebuchadnezzar we're talking to. This is nutcase Nebuchadnezzar. And and Daniel says, I just want you to know that no man can do this. God, the Lord, my God can do this only. That alone is like, wow. I think you'd be eager to spit out the dream and get out of there. I'd kind of like my head to stay on my shoulders today. But he says, I got to tell you, it's God. And he gives the dream and the interpretation. Verse 46, Nebuchadnezzar's steps. How did Nebuchadnezzar come closer to believing in the true God this time? The king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him rule over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Notice Daniel didn't just say, spare me or spare my friends. He said, don't kill any of the wise men, which is notable. He could have said, I've been trying to get rid of those idiots for a long time. Those pagan seancers, he doesn't do that. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. All of a sudden, it's all Jewish men ruling in Babylon. Is God in control? But Nebuchadnezzar's steps was that he, he, he gave them... Look at what he says in verse 46... He says, surely your God is the God of gods, 47, and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. He says, your God is great. And he puts Daniel in charge and his three friends. Okay. So De- Nebuchadnezzar has made another step now. He re- he, he has, the, the boys have greater favor with him, and he says, your God is great. Verse, chapter 3. Chapter 3. Let's look at this, the human part of things. What was the circumstance? This is the part you probably know the best of these chapters. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judge, magistrates, all the other pre- provincial officials to come set up, to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. I need a larger print Bible, don't I? So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, verse 4, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. 
As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. What happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Your God is great. And all of a sudden he's doing this. Remember, I, I declared my, the theological term for Nebuchadnezzar is what? Fruitcake. I mean, the guy is all over the place. And now he's set up this unbelievable image and says everyone will worship this image or they will be thrown into the fire. Now, so they did it. And I want to focus on, verse, down to verse 8, some astrologers came forward after everyone had bowed down. They came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Verse 10, you have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipes and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. There's the, the circumstance here. And it's getting hotter now because they got ratted out. Furious with rage, verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is a bit unstable as it is. You want to meet him furious with rage? Okay, <laughs> just checking. I thought maybe I was just reading into it. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? He already knows the answer to that, by the way. But remember, he's nutty. Or worship the image or gold of gold that I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God would be able to rescue me from my hand? He already knows the answer to that too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king in one of the statements that's the most favored in all of scripture. This is a powerful statement. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. One of the most powerful statements in all of scripture. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. I'd hate to see him furious because he seems crazy when he's calm. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. It got worse. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. 
That's the human part. That's the circumstances. That Nebuchadnezzar made this idol, he made this decree, and the men said, no way are we going to do that. Let's look at God's intervention in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Well, he wasn't a son of the gods, he was son of God, I believe. I believe that was probably a pre-incarnate Christ. But we don't know for sure, but that's a very likely possibility. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Wait a minute. Now he knows who the Most High God is. We just before he was saying, what God can possibly ever deliver you from my hand? And now he's I do remember. I do remember these guys and the God they serve. <laughs> so he, he knew all along. Isn't that something? Now where was I? <laughs> oh, here we go. Most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, I am in verse 26. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. He saw, they saw that their fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. How bad does a fire smell? When you have fire damage in your house, even stuff that doesn't get damaged, does it have to be discarded? Very often, because the smell of a fire is so overwhelming. And yet here it is, there's no smell of fire on them. And listen to this. So here's Nebuchadnezzar's steps. We've seen God's intervention. Nebuchadnezzar said, verse 28, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar takes another step. He steps forward and says, no one is allowed to speak against this God. But he does it in Nebuchadnezzar's way. You notice, how, if anyone speaks against this God, you're going to be cut up into a million pieces. That's oh so Nebi. He hasn't come around yet. He's getting there. Because formerly, of course, he was threatening to do that to people who, didn't, who, who spoke against him. Now he's threatening people who do that against God. But he's still the old Nebuchadnezzar. Same modus operandi. But now we get to chapter 4. Now we get to chapter 4 and we see one of the pow most powerful passages in the whole Bible. It starts out, oddly enough, with Nebuchadnezzar speaking. Undoubtedly, Daniel is responsible for this in, as far as who did this in a human fashion. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly if I don't cut you into a million pieces before that happens, of course. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. 
How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Who is this? And he's going to tell you the story. But that's how far Nebuchadnezzar... So, so under Neb's steps, you can put verses 1 through 3 because, wow. He's now praising God, the Most High God. Who will ever deliver you from my hand? And he says, oh, that's right, you're servants of the Most High God. When you call him that, you're saying what? There's nobody higher. And now he says, that Most High God, I worship and serve. Something's happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream and they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Ah, Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel can do it. And notice he doesn't threaten to cut anybody up into pieces either, even though they couldn't interpret the dream. He's made progress, okay? Take anything you can get. When you're praying for somebody to come to Christ, pray for progress and take little steps. No longer going to cut people into pieces. Good step. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. And he, he tells him the dream. Now, we see then in, um, down to verse 19, we're going to see God give Daniel the interpretation. God was intervening, by the way, in giving Daniel favor again from Nebuchadnezzar. And now, verse 19, Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. You Notice that previously, Daniel, Daniel was so bold. Now Daniel's actually a little timid, and Nebuchadnezzar is encouraging. No, be bolder. Speak to me. Tell me the truth. This is not the same man even now. Okay, he's making progress. Well, Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nest in places and its branches for the birds in the air. You, O king, are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. Leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let it be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass for him. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the degree the Most High, who he has acknowledged, the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live like the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle, be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, seven years that is, will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The, king, the command to leave the stump of this tree with its roots means 
that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that, what's it say? Heaven rules. When you acknowledge that heaven rules, Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be restored. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Your wickedness is being, and, and, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Kindness was not what he was known for. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Well, Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. For a year he went on. As a matter of fact, he came out. In verse 28, it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And it went on. Verse 34, at the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar, still, still narrating, I raised my eyes toward heaven. The sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? God, what have you done? What's the matter with you? You don't say that. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne, became even greater than before. Listen to this, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The proudest man on earth, he was able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar steps, his testimony, in verses 1 through 3 and then verse 4 through 37, we find out that Nebuchadnezzar made the final step to be a true worshiper of the true God. There are people that debate, did he really turn in full to God, but... The general conclusion is yes, he did. Now, let's, let's talk about, just for a second, concluding. Here's the steps. The first chapter, he saw these Hebrew boys and said they're ten times better than any of the others, okay? The second chapter, the dream, he says, your God is the God of gods. Third chapter, he says that he makes it a capital offense to speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Most High God, But in chapter 4, he now worships and praises the God, the Most High, the God of heaven. See the progress? He becomes a believer. Approximately 20 to 30 years that took. It didn't happen quickly. The back of your outline. Number one, Operation Nebuchadnezzar. Operation, who's your person? Nebuchadnezzar. 
Who are you praying for? And who are you praying that God will do a great work in bringing them to himself? Secondly, think process. Is evangelism a process or an event? Evangelism is a process. Salvation is an event. Evangelism is often a process of someone coming along. Thirdly, stand and be bold. Daniel says, I will not defile myself, nor will my friends. Daniel says, no man can reveal the dreams about the Most High God. He does. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not going to worship your idol, king. But then by the time they get to chapter 4, it's Nebuchadnezzar who says, Daniel, be bold. (laughs) Compromise does not win people to Christ. You hear what I'm saying? Well, if I just, all right, my friend is into this certain type of sin, and if I just kind of get a little bit involved, compromise doesn't win people to Christ. Never has, never will. Once in a while, God will reach down in unbelievable mercy and reach somebody who has... But but for the most part, it's when the people of God stand firm in what's right and what's true that God works the most mightily. And last, pray for leaders. (laughs) If he can reach Nebuchadnezzar, who can't he reach? You say, this person. And when we said last week we were reminded to pray for leaders in, in 1 Timothy, and we were talking about the fact that there's governmental leaders and there's thought leaders, the kings of our society who influence us, and that, that can be singers, that can be writers, that can be media people, that can be a whole slew of different types of people that influence us more than our governmental leaders. Well, I want to tell you that you can have hope for anybody if there was hope for Nebuchadnezzar. Because as you saw, this guy was the ultimate definition of take no prisoners. Who are you praying for? Let's pray. Father, what an incredibly hopeful, what an incredibly powerful example of your, we sang about your goodness running after us. And it does, Lord. Your goodness ran after Nebuchadnezzar. And there was certainly no reason for that. It wasn't because of him. Just like it's not because of us. Thank you for the reminders we had in song and, and word before this message. That we all are sinners. None of us deserve what you've done. But you run after us in your goodness. And we thank you for this outrageous example of your goodness to King Nebuchadnezzar and to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and so many others who were undoubtedly spared the the horrors of the old Nebuchadnezzar after this happened. Thank you for how you can put your people in places of influence and positions and with people that will make an eternal difference. Help us, Lord, when we are with difficult people and we wonder what we're doing there. Maybe there's something you're up to, Lord. Help us to ask the question, 
Why do I live next to this person? There must be a reason, and it must be something that is related to the kingdom of God. Help us to look at those around us not as, not as a burden necessarily, not as people we want to get away from, but as the people that you've put in our lives. If we were, any of us were in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shoes, Lord, I can't imagine what we would have been thinking as we were dragged away to Babylon and, and forced to become Babylonians against our wishes, against our faith, against our God. Give us the courage to stand and be strong and be bold. But yet, as we saw in all these examples, they were bold, but they were polite. They were respectful. They had character. Father, thank you for how you used them in the process of bringing to faith one of the most brutal tyrants in history. And Lord, our prayer is that we will influence our society, our community in the same way through our stand for you. In Jesus' name, amen.